I want to read to you from two passages in the Old Testament. The first, 2 Kings, chapter 20, verse 5. The Word of God through Isaiah to Hezekiah. I've heard your prayer. I have seen your tears. And then these words from the psalm. Psalm 126. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. If you want a subject for this word, I would call it try tears. Let's try tears. If you ask, why is this important? Well, the bottom line, for some reason, tears get God's attention. And we've never lived in a time, certainly in my lifetime, when we have needed more than ever to get God's attention. You've got that word in Isaiah chapter 58 where they cried out, Lord, why is it we fast? And you don't even seem to notice. You see, one of the reasons for fasting, by the way, you're wanting to get God's attention. It's when he seems like he's asleep. He's certainly hiding his face. And uh, we, as I said, are in a time we need to hear from God. We need to get his attention. And I happen to believe that I've got a word that will be a way forward that will get God's attention. Because what we need, not new ideas, clever ideas, we need something that will so stir us that we can wait before God and plead with Him. And if I understand what I'm going to be preaching about to you today, it's this, tears, literal tears, get God's attention. Well, why else would this be important? Well, maybe someone right now as I speak you are experiencing delayed answered prayer. Try tears. Um, do you sense that God has been hiding his face from you? Try tears. Are you in deep debt? It could be I'm speaking to someone, you're in financial trouble, and there doesn't seem to be a way out. Try tears. Or, are you praying for a lost loved one and somebody that you've wanted so much to come to the Lord? Uh, I can tell you, you need God to work on that person because we are by nature born dead in trespasses and sins. This is the way we're born. We're born dead. Maybe you never thought of it like that, but we are all born dead, spiritually dead. We need to be quickened and only God can take care of a person like that. So if you're praying for someone in particular, they need to be saved. I'm saying, try tears. Uh, are you in a situation where at the present time, if things get worse, the consequences are just so horrible, unthinkable. Maybe it's God's way of trying to get your attention. You see, we're trying to get His attention. Maybe He's trying to get your attention. 
And when he gets your attention and you show it by tears, it may be that God is at last succeeding with you. Are you praying for revival? Are you praying for the Holy Spirit to come down and you're pleading with the Lord? Well, I'm saying try tears. Well, what causes tears? Pain. Simple as that. Pain causes tears. Tears generally flow more from emotional pain than from physical pain. But physical pain can cause tears. Uh, you might like to know that there are some positive benefits from tears. For one thing, we're told that it has something to do with your own health. For example, tears helps to detoxify the body. Tears will dull pain. And another thing about tears, it will improve your mood. Uh, sometimes when I've had to speak with someone in grief, they've just lost a loved one, and they're not crying. And you think, if only they would shed tears, and, and if you can get them just to let the tears flow, they feel better. <laughs> so tears has, has that effect. And, and uh, I would like to think that not that this sermon is going to cause you to cry, but certainly because it is boring or anything like that. But if I can implant a word that I think is based on Scripture that will bring you a step closer to getting God's attention. Well, what does the Bible say about tears? Uh, before I get into that specifically, I don't know if you've ever heard of what used to be called, I don't hear much about it anymore, but years ago, there was among Bible colleges uh, what they called the law of first mention. Now, seminaries would laugh at that idea today, most seminaries, and maybe many Bible colleges. But there was a view uh, many years ago, law of first mention. What that means is the first time a key word in Scripture is mentioned the meaning it has then is seen uh, throughout the Bible. And, uh, for example, the first time you find the word tears in the Bible is what I read to you from 2 Kings chapter 20, verse 5. Uh, Isaiah, the prophet, said to King Hezekiah, Sorry, your time is up. It's over. You're going to die. Well, some might have just taken that word and, and said, okay, what is to be will be. But Hezekiah didn't have that reaction. He set his face to the wall and started to talk to God and he started weeping. And the same Isaiah came back and said, well, I've got good news. Here is what the Lord just says. I've heard your voice. I have seen your tears. Well, that's the first time you find the word tears in the Bible. And the idea being that tears gets God's attention. Uh, you might like to know the last time you find the word tears. The last time in the Bible, it's in Revelation chapter 21, verse 5, where God says that I will wipe away all tears from your eyes. So, 
There'll be tears on earth coming from pain. There'll be no tears in heaven. God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. There'll be no crying, no pain. For the former things are passed away. Well, uh, we're told also in 2 Kings chapter 22, verse 19, King Josiah, who was a good king, like Hezekiah, we find these words, You wept before me, I heard you. Think about that. You wept before me, I heard you, said the Lord. Uh, the Hebrew word for hearing, uh, to hear, I heard you, is the Hebrew word shamar. Uh, every Jew knows what is known as the Shema. Uh, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Well, the word Shamar in the Hebrew means to hear, but it also means to obey. Uh, perhaps if you've got a child, you've said to your child, Did you hear me? Well, the idea is they must not have heard you because they're not doing what you told them to do. Well, when God hears us, in the Shamar, Hebraic sense of the word, it means he has heard us and will obey our request. Well, tears will have this kind of effect on God. So, as it is put, God said to Josiah, I'll give you the verse again, 2 Kings 22, 19, You wept before me, I heard you. So, there are two ways, I might say, to make sure you are being heard from God. Uh, one is if you pray in His will. Uh, the other is try tears. Uh, in 1 John 5.14, John says, if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. That means that God will obey our request. Best word you can ever hear from God. It doesn't get better than this to know that He's heard you. Well, you say, surely God, who knows everything, he, he sees all you do, He hears all you say, surely He hears us. But the Hebraic idea is a, a very refined understanding. It means that God has not only heard you, but He's going to obey. And according to 1 John 5, 14, two things coalesce, your tears and praying in His will. Now, getting the will of God. Sometimes we know what is God's will, and sometimes we think we know what is God's will. Uh, God's will can be understood in two ways. First, the revealed will of God. What is that? That's the Bible. You could say the Ten Commandments. Uh, God has revealed His will in Scripture. Uh, but then there's what we know as the secret will of God. That means known only to him. And uh, you must see that what appears to be his will from our perspective may not be God's own will. His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts higher than our thoughts. Uh, God knows exactly what will happen the day after tomorrow. That's his secret will. You may think you know, but he really knows. He knows what will happen one year from now in every detail. He knows the end from the beginning. And therefore, when you realize that's knowledge that is secret, 
Uh, we can't delve into that. Uh, the person praying for the right husband or wife, uh, his secret will. Should you take this invitation or do something else? Secret will. So you've got to come to the place that though you don't know what it is, you know that he knows and you actually bow to whatever that will is and say, Lord, this is what I want, but I will give up what I want and find out what you want. You see, there's a verse, Psalm 106.15. Scary verse. God granted their request, but sent leanness to their soul, a wasting disease. So uh, we've got to be careful. If we persist in something that we want because it seems reasonable to us, uh, could I caution you about something? There's a teaching that is spreading like wildfire. It goes something like this. Our duty is to change God's will. Wrong. Don't give that teaching any time at all. It is false teaching. That is not our duty. It's not our duty to change God's will. It's our duty to find out what His will is and do it. And so when we don't know what His will is, accept that it's His way of causing us to turn to Him, to seek His face. Uh, if every prayer was just automatically answered, you just wouldn't need faith anymore. And if you knew everything, you wouldn't need faith. And there are certain things God doesn't want us to know. And if He doesn't want you to know it, you're not going to know it until He reveals things. So two things that will bring about answered prayer. One is praying in His will. And you might hit what His will is. That is to say, you might actually pray for something and it's actually God's will, but He doesn't tell you. It's the odd thing. It may seem odd, but that's just the way it is. In fact, when John said, if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us, He added, and if we know He hears us, that's a big if. Big if. If we know that He hears us. Why does He put it that way? It's possible to pray in the will of God and not know it then. Sometimes He will <laughs> let you know it. Uh, I wish this happened to me every day. I'm sorry, but it doesn't happen to me every day. There are times uh, when, when I pray for it, I know right then, God heard me. There are other times when I pray for something, I don't know if He's heard me or not. Take the example when uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth prayed for a son. I presume this would be sometime after they got married, or maybe months, years, I don't know, but they prayed for a son and they felt nothing. And after a while, that was a prayer request, I guess they tore up and said, God's not going to answer our prayer. And then one day, <laughs> here comes the angel, Gabriel. It, you read about it, Luke chapter 1, says, Zechariah, your prayer has been heard. Zechariah wanted to say, prayer? What prayer? Oh, well, you and Elizabeth prayed for a son. Well, yeah, that was a long time ago. Well, your prayer has been heard. Here's the thing. When they prayed that prayer, 
God in heaven said yes, because it was God's will. But he didn't tell Zechariah that. He didn't tell Elizabeth that. And it comes as a big surprise. That's why in 1 John 5, 14, if we pray in his will, he hears us, but you may not know you've done it. If you know that he hears us, good. You know you've got it. Well, Zechariah didn't know he was heard. And then here comes Gabriel to tell him he has been heard. So it's important to know. Don't try to change God's will. That is wrong. It is false teaching. But find out what it is. If you don't get it, understand he knows best. I'll tell you how you can know that. Because Psalm 84, verse 11. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. And so understand that he will give it to you if it's what he knows is best for you. Well, so the way to get your prayer answered, you pray in God's will, but there's this other thing. And we don't understand why it is. But all I know is it's a teaching in Scripture. Tears seem to work. They do. And so God said to Hezekiah, I've heard your prayer. I've seen your tears. And by the way, Hezekiah was given another 15 years to live. First, Isaiah the prophet said, your time is up. <clears throat> Hezekiah says, God, please. Isaiah has to come back and say, oh, you're going to live 15 more years. This is a good thing about Isaiah, by the way. You know, there's some prophetic people, they don't want to change their minds when they give a word. This is it. This is it. Isaiah said, this is it. But then Hezekiah prayed, and Isaiah has to come back and say, good news. God says now, you're going to live for another five years. What I'm saying to you, when nothing else seems to work, try tears. Uh, so, I'll tell you something. Another evidence that God notices tears. Jesus was in a little town called Nain, N-A-I-N. I went there one day when I was in Israel, out of my way to the little town of Nain. I mean, it's just a small village. It was a small village then, it's a small village now. And while Jesus was teaching, he noticed that somebody is in a funeral and he sees a widow with her only son in a coffin. And the widow is sobbing her heart out as they're going to bury her only son. Jesus stopped what he was doing and walked over to that lady. You know what he said to her? Don't cry. Don't cry. You see, tears got Jesus' attention. She couldn't have known that the Lord was watching her. And I just want to say to anybody right now, if you are weeping and you are crying and you are in tears, and you may think nobody's watching and nobody cares. Jesus, he notices tears. Jesus, the Son of God, never forget, there's a verse, John 5, 19. 
Jesus said, the son can do nothing of himself but what he sees the father do. What the father does, Jesus does. And so it was the father who saw the widow's tears as she was going to bury her only son. But Jesus is God in the flesh. He said, he that has seen me has seen the father. So we're talking about the Godhead, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, the Trinity. God notices our tears. Well, you know what it is to have lost a loved one? Jesus sees you. You know what it is when you have severe disappointment, nothing's going right, and you just start to cry. <coughs> Jesus notices. That's the good news. And you feel like you're all alone. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 14, says that at the right hand of God is Jesus, our great high priest. He's different from the high priests in Israel's day because the high priest, just a man who wanted to do everything perfectly right, liturgically, uh, doctrinally, uh, he had no real feelings for the people. No, he was more interested in carrying out the letter of the law. But Hebrews 4.15 says that this high priest is different, Jesus. He's actually touched with the feeling of our weaknesses. Most people aren't going to be very sympathetic with you if you have a weakness. Uh, if, if it's a legalistic Christian you're around and you admit to a fault or a weakness, they might say to you, well, you shouldn't have that. You shouldn't have that. Well, you just say, well, all I know is I have this weakness. Jesus, rather than being turned off, is turned on. We're told he's touched. And there's nobody like Jesus. He was tempted at all points. The very things that may not tempt you, but tempt somebody else or tests you but doesn't test anybody else you don't get into their skin at all but because Jesus was tempted tested the the Greek word just means put to a test it it can be all kinds of temptation or trial but Jesus has had every kind you can imagine and even though he is now at the right hand of God he's never forgotten what it was like so that when you feel deeply, he feels it too. Never will forget something it happened many years ago. My mother died when I was only 17 years old. And uh, we were at the funeral home. Never forget it. At the funeral home, friends came to uh, view my mother's body and came to say, we're praying for you, we're sorry. And they would say to me, I'm a 17-year-old, lost his mother. And people would say, I'm praying for you. But then they were also going by my father's, where he was seated. And uh, he stayed seated as people would come by and say, Mr. Kendall, we're praying for you. And all of a sudden, I saw my father stand up. People all thought, why did he just stand? He saw a man coming in the door who two weeks before had lost his wife. And my dad said, here's a man who can sympathize with me. 
and they hugged each other in the center of the room because that other man knew what my dad was going through. Well, you may not find anybody who can understand what you are going through, but Jesus does. And so as he saw that widow crying, he just stopped what he was doing and went over to her and said, don't cry. I'm telling you, tears uh, get God's attention. Uh, you could also put it like this, that when we weep, Jesus does too. Uh, you know the story, perhaps, uh, Mary and Martha, who were close friends of Jesus, uh, they sent word to Jesus that their brother, Lazarus, who Jesus was also a close friend to, had become very, very ill. Well, why did they send that word to Jesus? He was uh, several miles away. Some would say a hundred miles away. I don't know how far away he was. Uh, but they knew, they thought they did, that if they got the word to Jesus, Jesus would stop Lazarus from dying. He could do it. He could do it by remote control, or he could just make his way to Bethany uh, and go right to Lazarus' sick bed and heal him. Do you know what? Jesus showed up four days after the funeral. And you know, the disciples were surprised at him. said, how come you're not going to heal your friend Lazarus? And you know what he said? It's a very important verse, John eleven fifteen. 15. I never forget as long as I live, I wish this happened to me often, that I get an insight in the pulpit. And, but I did that day. I was preaching on John chapter 11, which, as it happens, was in my own reading today. That, that's a coincidence. Uh, I followed the Robert Murray McShane plan. And reading John 11, I was reminded of that time when I was at Westminster Chapel. And just reading John 11:15 gave me an insight, a theological insight that was totally new to me. It's simple, but it was new to me then. Jesus said, I'm glad for your sakes that I didn't go and heal Lazarus in order that you might believe. What did he mean by that? Well, what increases our faith and what makes faith a possibility is when God doesn't do what we think he's going to do. When he just does things we don't understand. Why is there suffering in the world? Why this coronavirus crisis? Why so many people dying? It's, it's, it's awful. Why does God permit it? Why does he allow it? By the way, by the way, he certainly did allow it. I can tell you now, he's the architect of the whole thing. He's right in the middle of it. Because I believe that COVID-19, as it's called, coronavirus, is God's loving way of trying to get our attention. That is what I believe. I would go to the stake for that belief. Don't think that this came without God's permission, where he's somehow panicking heaven. Oh, how could this happen? No. God is sovereign. He's all-powerful. He's all-knowing. And understand this. He's got a purpose in all that he does. And so Jesus said, I didn't go heal Lazarus. They thought he would. It didn't make sense. He could have healed him. He says, in order that you might believe. And we're all being put through to this test. Well, here's what happens. 
Jesus shows up four days after the funeral. And one by one, first Mary and no, first Martha and then Mary said, Lord, if you had been here, our brother wouldn't have died. As if to blame Jesus. Yeah, that's what they were doing. I say, you should have come. You could have healed him. If you had been here, our brother wouldn't have died. Martha said the same thing. Both of them are crying. And we find at that moment the shortest verse in the Bible. John eleven thirty five. Jesus wept. Why did he weep? He felt what they were going through. He felt what they were feeling. And here's the interesting thing. He knew what he was going to do a few minutes later. That's, that's what he knew when he first said, I've done this so that you might believe. Do you know what? Even though Jesus knew that in a few minutes he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead, he still wept with them. That's the way God is. He weeps with us in the moment. Of course he knows how it's going to be a week from now. Of course he knows the end from the beginning. But the amazing thing about God, he knows we don't know. And it's amazing. He just stoops to our weakness. And so Jesus just wept with them. Just wept. Instead of rebuking them, he didn't say, Come on, girls, be quiet. I'm going to raise him from the dead if you just shut up. No, 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 no. They wept. He wept. And then he just showed that from the beginning, he reckoned that raising Lazarus from the dead was a better idea than keeping him from dying. So it is with anything that is God's will. Anything. His will is better than anything that you could come up with. You think you should change God's will as if your idea is better, that you're smarter than God? <laughs> God knows what He's doing. He's the all-wise God. He loves each one of us as if there were no one else to love. And He's got a plan. Well, when we weep, Jesus weeps. And He did what He did on purpose. We're told another thing that Jesus actually wept over the city of Jerusalem. Yes. You could say it broke his heart. Now, this is a mystery. I don't understand it, but I'm just telling you what the Bible says. He wept. He said, all the things that belong to you, you are the ones that should have this. You are the ones that prayed for Messiah. And now I've come and you don't want me. And he wept. He wept. And it was a changing moment for all history and as a result of this the Jews rejected Jesus but then the Gentiles accepted him and there's a purpose in everything that Jesus does well he wept over the city of Jerusalem that lets you know just as John 5 19 the son can do nothing of himself but what he sees the father do strange as it may seem to us even God wept when Jesus wept because he knew what was going to happen to Israel. He knew. But you know this? God has a plan for you. Don't try to figure God out. Don't think that you were going to have such superior knowledge of Almighty God 
that you know this happened for this or that. We don't know everything. <laughs> Some things just you're not supposed to know. But God's got a purpose in it. Well, we know this. Even though Jesus wept over the city of Jerusalem and it was a part of his plan. Yeah, that's true too. Strange as it may seem, that too is a part of his plan. It says in Ezekiel chapter 33, verse 11, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked. And one reason is because death is not the end. Death is not the end. By the way, never forget this. Hebrews 9, 27. As it is appointed unto men once to die, after death, the judgment. And you need to know this. Death is not the end. Death opens up the future that begins in eternity that has no end. And after death, the judgment. Well, at the end of every life, heaven or hell? Heaven or hell? Now that's the clear teaching of the Bible. If you're not prepared to stand by Scripture, it's not likely that you're going to come to tears to want to see lost people saved or to see things turn around in the church when there's so much theological liberalism, when people no longer preach the virgin birth of Jesus or the blood of Jesus satisfying God's justice, the idea of heaven and hell. It's just not being taught nowadays. Uh, I mentioned Robert Murmick Shane a while ago. That was not in my notes to say because I just happened to follow his Bible reading plan, which today happened to be John 11, among other scriptures. But I do have in my notes that I wanted to uh, bring up this story. A fellow preacher went up to his friend Robert Murmick Shane and said, I preached on hell Sunday. Do you know what McShane said? Did you weep? You see, there are those who want to preach on hell, and there's no tears. They just say, people are going to go to hell unless you repent. I'm telling you, it's an awful thing for anybody to go to hell. Imagine somebody you love going to hell. You don't want that. You don't want that. Well, I'll tell you another story about Robert Murmick Shane. He saw revival in his church in Dundee, Scotland in the 18th, 19th century. A few weeks after McShane died, a minister 30 miles away from Dundee went to the church there hoping to meet somebody that would tell him a little bit about Robert Murray McShane. And it happened that an elder in the church was present. And this preacher said, tell me what was Robert Murray McShane like? Tell me how I could preach like Robert Murray McShane. Oh, says the elder, I can tell you. Really? They went to McShane's desk. And the elder said, here's the way you preach like McShane. Put your elbows on the desk and bury your face in your hands and let the tears flow. 
And then the elders said, come with me. He took him to McShane's pulpit. He said, you want to preach like McShane? I can tell you. Put your elbows on the pulpit. Bear your head in your hands. And let the tears flow. Well, that was McShane. He was known as the weeping pastor. And uh, it just happened. This is a coincidence. But I was invited to preach in McShane's church about eight years ago. And I'd heard that story. And I actually laid my Bible on McShane's pulpit. And what I'm going to say now, I don't suggest everybody do this. <coughs> but I thought, I wonder if God's got a verse for me. I don't do this every day, and I, it, it, it can be, uh, lead to some difficulties. But I'm just admitting I did it once. And so I lay the Bible on McShane's pulpit, and I opened it, and it opened to Psalm 119, verse 136. And here's what it says. My eyes shed streams of tears because people do not keep your law. <laughs> but my goodness, it was almost a confirmation that that was the real McShane. That was his pulpit. That's, that's what made him. And he saw revival in his day. What we know is tears get results. They worked for Hezekiah. They worked for the dear woman weeping for her son. They worked for Josiah. Tears worked for Robert Mary McShane. And I can say this. If you're wanting to see God work, the thing about tears, you can't work them up. There's what is known as crocodile tears. We're talking about when you are sufficiently burdened and you're sufficiently concerned that you're just begging God, please to work. Believe me, tears work. Tears get God's attention. And so God said to Hezekiah, I've heard your voice. I've seen your tears. And then that verse that I read at the beginning, Psalm 126, verse 5, those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. Well, that's my word to you. Try tears. Heavenly Father, I ask that you apply this word by your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.